Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, thank you, Mr. Kelly, and always good to see you and have a great rest of the day. And folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You can get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. You can call and we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs of your annuals. Man, the pansies this year, spectacular. I mean, the flowers on the ones that I'm growing, I mean, they're really, they're bigger than what I normally think of, but uh, maybe it's just I can't remember what they were like in the past or something like that. The bulbs, really, really good, except I will have to admit, that cold spell that we had in January, because I put all my spring flowering bulbs in pots, about uh, 50-plus percent of the ones I put in pots did not survive. This year I did you know, go smaller than I normally do because a lot of people were calling in and saying, well, can we put them in 14-inch pots? And I said, well, I don't normally do that, but I wanted to. I like to experiment with stuff myself. So when somebody asks a question, I can have either personal experience or I've seen it and talked to someone about it. But like I said, you know, 50% of the bulbs that I put in the smaller pots did not do well. So the ones in bigger pots, they look fine, but the so no more small pots for me for the bulbs. I had tulips and I had daffodils both, and I had some actually grape hyacinths, which I've never had bad luck with those. So as far as even in what I consider smaller pots, but this year, kind of depressing. But uh, edibles, ground covers, house plants, you move your house plants out. Somebody sent me an email. Just if you move your house plants out, regardless of what type they are, do not put them in where they're going to have direct sun hitting them between, let's say, 10 o'clock and, let's say, 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, at least initially, because you could really scorch the leaves. Roses, there should be some new growth on your roses. And I did this past week my first Guess what? Application of fertilizer on my roses. I've got the knockout roses, four of them growing in pots. Your trees, your shrubs, your vines, and your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but just strictly offered for you to consider. Greg is producing today, so when you call, he will ask your name and where you're calling from, and uh, then we'll get you online. And during the week I do, and weekends too, I do landscape consulting. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my homepage of MikeMillerDesigns.com. There's my email address and phone number. Email is probably a little bit easier because I am sometimes fall behind on making the return calls. Like a, a couple yesterday, or they'd called during the week last week. They live in Collinsville, and they thought, when I finally called yesterday, they thought, well, I wonder what went wrong. And I said, well, sometimes I just fall behind on the 
phone call returns as opposed to answering the emails. That shows you I'm really high tech. Right. <laughs> so now a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting is the tip of the trial. The tip of the trial, did you hug a tree yesterday? Why would you want to hug a tree yesterday? Well, the last Friday of April is Arbor Day. So, boy, it's certainly got underreported. I didn't see anything about Arbor Day at all. But you should go out, even though you didn't get to hug your tree on Arbor Day yesterday, and hug a tree. So the Arbor Day Foundation gets the tip of the trowel. And also Valerie Buckley. Valerie is one of the production assistants here, but she does some major work. So a lot of the spots that you hear that are pre-recorded, she's responsible for doing that. So it's one of those behind-the-scenes people that makes it things happen that don't get any kind of credit at all usually. So a tip of the trial goes out to Valerie for all the great work that she's been doing for all the years that she has been here. So a tip of the trial goes out to her. Let's see if we can get a call in before we go to break. Let's go to Ellen in Afton. Ellen, how are you? I'm fine. I was wondering, uh, we're getting ready to move, and uh, I want to save um, my husband's grandmother, Rosebush, and I don't know how to transplant it or how to keep it. Yeah, I don't want to take the whole thing. I just want a cutting if I can do it that way. Whoa, you're taking a real chance to do that. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you could try it, but you're going to have to get some rooting hormone for woody plants. You're going to have to take a cutting of it. And you know, it probably doesn't have enough growth on it to actually take a very good cutting right now because you want to do... You know, usually growth that's a little bit more, let's say, well-established in the early season growth like now. So I would would say if you want to do that, that's fine. Best thing to do would be to get a five-gallon pot from a nursery, a black plastic nursery pot, and dig it up and put it in a nursery pot with some potting mix and transport it that way. But taking a cutting from it, if it's something it sounds like it's very historically important, that's going to be a roll of the dice at best. Okay. Uh, I had seen online that you put it in a potato and plant the potato in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't work, huh? Right, exactly. No, I mean, I guess it could possibly work, but all that kind of stuff is just, you know, I don't go for that stuff. (laughs) You know, I would get a rooting hormone from your favorite garden center, get some potting mix for, you know, starting plant material and just get a small pot if you're going to only take one or two cuttings. You know, make sure the cuttings are at least uh, probably 8 to 10 inches. Make the cut, the cut at a 45-degree angle. Then dip it in the rooting hormone, which is going to be a powder type thing, and then put it in the potting mix for starting plants inside a small pot. And just try it that way if you want. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Sticking <laughs> something in a potato. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I want something's flashing in my mind, but I'm not going to say what it is because it's too gross. But anyway, Gentry lives in St. Louis. Gentry, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Okay, here's what I I got a problem. I was told by the uh, people who take care of the lawn that oh, it's probably just the winter, but the moss, the ground cover came out booming. The azaleas are coming out, magnolias and everything. But I have a whole. A uh, couple of yards of ivy bed. They cover the whole front. No, you don't have to, you know, stand there and mow the lawn. The problem is a long patch by the 150-year-old Chinese elm and by kinkos down below. 
they died. It has never happened before. It's a patches. Now I'm concerned that it's some kind of uh, fungus or disease that may carry to the trees, or is it just our imagination? No, it's not your imagination. Probably what it is, is this particular patch of ivy is old. And people don't understand that plant material has a limited life. And my thinking is, with that cold weather in January and everything else, that this particular you know spot of ivy, by being older, just couldn't take the cold you know that happened, and so consequently, it's dead and really has nothing to do and won't impact anything else other than the fact that you know and what's dead is going to be dead, and that part will won't come back again. Or, you know, if it's as dead as what you're saying it is. So you're probably going to have to get some new ivy and plant it in the spot where this dead stuff is. Will the old ivy, will the new ivy for the rest of the yard, because it does travel, ivy travels, can it cover that up eventually? Can it grow over there? Well, it would take a while. So if you fertilize, you can do it a little bit faster. But, yeah, I will finally, you know, infill that spot. Thank you so much, and have a great day. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Pirates today. Amron Total Access 510. First pitch, 605. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Cool music. Patty lives in St. Louis County. Patty, how are you today? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Good. My question is, we have this blue spruce uh, tree that's very old, and the bottom of it, top looks beautiful. The bottom of it, all the leaves are coming off. All the pine needles are Mm -hmm. coming off of it. Right. So uh, don't know what to do with it. I don't want to lose it. It's so old, and it's just, you know, it's beautiful at the top, but... Do we cut those off, or what's your advice? To yeah, do? basically, this is something that naturally happens with a lot of different trees because the lower growth, even if it is, you know, you have to realize that all those needles that are above for the healthy part of it is shading the stuff underneath. And consequently, if you go into any kind of spruce or pine forest, you're going to notice that all the trees, for the most part, have trunks with only needles at the top. So it's just experiencing what genetically that happens with lots of different kinds of trees. Even deciduous trees do the same thing. They'll have a tendency to lose the lower branches. So if the branches are extended you know, very long, cut them off in sections like one-third at a time, and make the final cut at the trunk. These are the branches that don't have any of the needles. Make the final cut and leave a stub of about... Uh, quarter to a half inch, and that's about all you need to do. Don't put anything on the cut or anything else. Okay. And what about fertilizing it or uh, Feed like the that? soil. That's so, in other words, deep root feeding, fertilizing is not going to make all that much difference. You know, you've had this tree for a very long time. If it looks healthy, mm-hmm. you, have, you know, there's no reason to sort of, like, rush and think you're going to change it because it's an older tree and you mm-hmm. just kind of leave it as it as is and just get rid of the lower branches that are causing you problems. Okay, thank you for your help. Yeah, you have a great day. Yeah, it's an aesthetic problem more so than anything else. Let's go from St. Louis County to North County, which I'm assuming is part of St. Louis County. Rich, how are you today? I'm very good today. Great. I would like I would like to tell you how strong a believer I have become in compost. Last fall, I put uh, compost down on my front lawn, worked it in with a roto hoe, reseeded it, but I ran out of compost about halfway through the job. This spring, you can see a line of demarcation, which was composted and which was not composted. 
So I recomposted the whole thing this spring, and I'm very happy that uh, you advertise for them because it does a wonderful job. Well, thanks. I, I am wondering if I would like to add compost to my potting mix when I do my different pots. Do you think that the uh, compost will add to the uh, potting mix when I use my potting pots? Uh, it's, it'll add some, but, uh, you know, I mean, it does have, you know, quality. Putting compost in pots, I've, you know, that's something I've never done. I usually just use potting mix. But uh, you could try it out and then give me a call and see and say, wow, you know, this is much better than what I thought or anticipated, or I grew the same plants in this pot, but now with the compost mixed in with the potting mix then look how much better. I'm very impressed with it. So you could just make it somewhat experimental. Maybe don't do it with all the pots. Do it with two pots, you know, similar size with the same plant material. Mix some compost in with one. Don't do it with the other. And see what you think, you know, the end results are. That's what my thought would be. And I will let you know how this all turns out. Well, thank great. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Rich. And now let's go to... St. Charles, and that's where Larry lives. Hi, Larry. Hi, Mike. I had a couple questions for you, and good morning. I wanted to ask about, uh, I planted some moriope, and I want to know if I need to fertilize that. So you've, you've, it's not been installed yet, or it's in your landscape right now? My landscape now. Oh, yeah, you could certainly fertilize it. I mean, have you cut off all the old brown stuff? Uh, yes. So as long as... I would probably maybe wait until you start to see some new growth from the ripening monkey grass coming up, then fertilize it at that time. In this kind of situation, personally, I like to use uh, you know either a powder or a liquid, you know, a powder that you mix in water or a liquid in a bottle, because if you use a granite or stuff. It can get on the, you know, let's say the blades of the new liriope coming up, and uh-huh. they could burn either that or if you use granular fertilizer, which is your choice, just make sure you water it after you spread the fertilizer. Okay, great. And then I had a question about, uh, I don't know how you pronounce this, Gerber daisy, Gerbero daisy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, we've gotten those before, and it's they, they have blooms on them, and then they don't bloom again. Right. And I wondered if, what could be the issue there. That's just genetically, they are a very, very tough plant to grow. And they, to get them to rebloom, you should probably build a greenhouse. No, I mean, they're t- it's really, really difficult to make them rebloom. So that's okay, not to say it's, it's impossible, but it is going to be tough at best. Thank you. Yep. And it's, I mean, there's several plants that do that very same thing that, uh, you know, just don't perform as well as what, and spectacular as what they look. So the Gerber daisy just happens to be one of them. And uh, if you're fertilizing and everything else, you have it in a really sunny window or s- stick it outside, part shade now, in a you know, couple of weeks and put it in full sun, see what happens. But I've never really had luck with them to rebloom. So thanks, Larry. And now let's go to the Jerseyville, Illinois, into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Mike, thank, me. thank you for having me on your show because sure. if you weren't there, I wouldn't be calling in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, I'm trying to build a raised garden and I've built the frames and I'm trying to decide what to do to put in it. Now I've called St. Louis composting and they have, they have a special compost, but I was just going to get regular compost, but they, they have something that has sand in it and dirt in it. And can you tell me what I should do? Some people say I should put down cardboard first or landscaping material. 
And is St. Louis composting that mix? Is that the best way for me to go? First of all, I don't know why you'd want to put cardboard and all that other stuff on the bottom. I mean, they're saying that's going to be a weed barrier and stuff like that. But if the area where you're growing it, you didn't have, I don't know how big are the sides of your raised bed. Let's put it, I'll start there. Well, they're, they're both, one of them is eight by four, 10 inches high. Okay. The other one's six by four, 10 inches high. And both of them have some serious grass in the bottom of right now. I would probably, what I'd do is just go out there and put an herbicide on the grass. So in other words, kill it. And then I wouldn't worry too much, you know, about anything else. And then I would go to, you know, St. Louis Composting and get the SLC raised bed mix. And that is topsoil, sand, you know, pine bark fines, and the black gold compost mixed together. Because they formulated that strictly for raised beds. So okay. that's probably what I would use, even though it seems like a weird blend. They monkey around with stuff before they put it out there for people to use. So it's not like they just kind of came up with this thing. Right. Okay. All right. Well, and then there's no sense to put down cardboard or anything like that to kill the grass if I just like use Roundup to kill it first. Right. And I mean, you still may have some weed seeds coming up through that, but 10 inches is a long way for seeds to kind of germinate. Probably more than likely the seed would be blowing in that would germinate as opposed to something that's below it that came up from that. But if you got a big, a whole, you know, garage full of cardboard boxes you want to get rid of, sure, you can put them out there. But I don't, you know, that's just a lot of, you know, that just doesn't you know, make sense to me. Okay. All right. Well, I sure appreciate your help. Thank sure. you. Thanks, Bob. And it's kind of like putting straw out. It just doesn't add all that much. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This sounds like music to send me over to Belleville, Illinois. And that's where Marilyn lives. What a coincidence. Hi, Marilyn. Good morning. Hi. I'm curious. Uh, you speak about using a great many comp- container plants. Yes. And I'm curious. Do you use plastic or terracotta pots? I use, I have a few terracotta ones, you know, from days of old. But for the most part, I have a lot of styrofoam ones. I use some plastic ones. So I have a combination of several different types. I see. And do you have any preference? Uh, well, I like the, you know, the styrofoam ones. So in other words, those are ones that have kind of wild stuff imp- you know, imprinted on the sides of it because they're very light. But other than that, there's no, you know, I think I don't notice that much difference in moisture retention, fertilizer retention, performance of plant material because I put... Different plants, you know, are the same plants in different kinds of pots and see what I think. Just like I told the gentleman, I think it was earlier either in this hour or last hour, to experiment around and see what you think. And so consequently, no, I don't think there's one any better than the other. Okay, thank you. And one more quick question. You mentioned you lost uh, some bulbs that you planted in small pots this year. What are small pots? Uh, basically like 12 or 14 inch pots. And I like I, it though. So that's, you know, normally I put them in pots that are like 20 plus inches. I see. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. And yeah, I love container growing and I've been doing it for a long, long time. Never had, you know, some of the problems that I have had when we lived in Soulard, we were sort of in a protected canyon in between the houses because of the way, you know, Soulard set up. But the exposure and everything else with our house, you know, down by Christie Park, consequently, um, there's been probably like, two, we've been there 10 years. So there's probably been two years where the cold weather has done some damage. 
Let's go to Teresa, and she lives in St. Peter's. Hi, Teresa. Good morning. How are you today? Very good. I'm calling with a question about a holly tree that we planted uh, last spring, was doing well, and I know about this winter burn. Right. But, but it really, the all the leaves seem really dead, except there's green stems. So as far as attempting to prune it, should I cut it back to the green on the stems, or should I yank this thing out of the ground and return it? <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, you know, you said you planted it last spring. Yes. So it never got a root system established enough to kind of recover from the cold that's what, of, of what happened. So my guess is it's probably not going to recover. But that's strictly a guess. Even though you got green stems and everything else, this doesn't sound good. Okay, yeah, it looks pretty bad. Yeah, and if you got a one-year guarantee, I would say I would not have any problem about pulling it out and getting another one. Okay, all right. Yeah, we watered it through the winter, you know, just to try to give it the best head start, and I guess that uh, that really cold snap just really did it in. Right. So. Okie dokie. Do you have a holly tree variety that you recommend for this area? Personally, I like the American holly. The foster holly has a more narrow leaf, but the, you know, the American holly is just more the classic traditional look. But that's just my own personal preference as much as anything. That's more aesthetic than anything else. The, the, the American holly just has a full look to it. It seems like the foster holly, which is a tree-type holly as well, always has some openness to it. It's, you know, a little bit more, less. I don't want to say wild and rangy. It's kind of like my wild and rangy hair. But, uh, you know, some people don't like wild and rangy hair. I don't like wild and rangy hollies. Okay. All right. Well, th- and as far as growing in this area, the American holly should be just fine, right? Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you can, I mean, go to the Botanical Garden and walk through the garden grounds. You'll see some really old American holly been there for a long, long time. So thanks, Teresa. And now let's go to Judy in St. Louis. Hi, Judy. Yeah. Is there something we can use as a substitute for Roundup? Uh, Hand digging. I mean, there are other herbicides that you can use, so it just depends upon, you know, it's a personal choice as much as anything. If you want a broadleaf weed killer, there's a weed be gone type thing. And uh, or if you want something that's going to kill a lot of different things, there are some herbicides that will kill pretty much anything. But Roundup is sort of the universal one. And I know people don't like it because of the studies that have been done. Right. Okay, another question. How deep does a container pot need to be to grow a tomato plant in it? You mean as far as in the ground? No, on the deck. Oh, how deep? Let's see, probably maybe like 12 or 14 inches because tomatoes have pretty extensive root systems. I was trying to think, you know, we've grown tomatoes in pots several different times. I was trying to think of the size of the pots, but probably 14 inches high and 14 inches maybe across. Those are the pots that we grew tomatoes in. That's some of the ones that I put bulbs in this past fall, and that's the ones that tomatoes do great, but consequently, you know, the bulbs didn't do so well. And with them, you always put it in, a, you know, have a saucer there because tomatoes need constant moisture, more or less, and then use tomato food. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go head west to Wildwood. Don, how are you today? Just fine, Mike. Fine. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. sure. We have this 
situation in our front yard that it is being uh, somewhat uh, slowly overgrown with bent grass. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to be a big problem because you can't really see it. It didn't seem to die out in the winter. And uh, I got a bid to uh, have it sprayed and have it dug up and have it replanted, and it was a very expensive proposition. So I just want to ask you, uh, you know, I'm, I, right now I'm kind of going to wait another year or so and see if it takes over my whole yard and if it really does anything bad. Right now it just kind of blends in and it's not a problem. Right. right. What do you know about bent grass? Uh, ben, you know, bent grass, uh, I don't know bent grass per se. I haven't followed it all that much. Bermuda grass, kind of the same sort of scenario, except you know, it's, it's very invasive. It's just what you know potentially going to happen. They don't sell bent grass per se, so that's kind of indicates it may not be, you know, there may be some kind of weather or certain circumstance that may get rid of it, kill it off, or whatever it happens to be. But if you don't mind it, I would say just live with it. So I mean, if it's if somebody in your house does mind it, just tell them don't look at it. <laughs> it what it is, by it's what they use for the greens right. on the golf courses. Right. right. It comes from the golf course, you know, and everybody blames everybody else in terms of uh, lawn equipment getting on their tires and then getting in the yard. Yeah. So, uh, okay, you don't think it's uh, is it supposed to turn brown in the winter? Usually, Usually it does. It does. So, so I'm, I'm kind of surprised, surprised it didn't. Well, thanks for your thought, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's, again, again, it's a it's personal choice more so than anything else, but, uh, it, you, know, you know, it's, it's tough. tough and, and so. Let's go now to Granite City and into Sandy's yard. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I've just got a couple quick questions. I had a landscaper add some different bushes last, last spring or, you know, right at the beginning of the summer. Um, and he put in four everbloom azaleas, he said. And now, I have some regular azaleas, you know, which stay green, you know, all winter. But right. these turn brown. Uh, do I need to do anything with them? Are they going to be okay when, you know? To be honest with you, I've never heard of ever-blooming azaleas. Well, I hadn't either. So he's, he's sort of like saying that they're going to repeat bloom beyond springtime? Well, all summer, yes. Really? Now I've heard of the you know the hydrangeas and all kinds of different things, roses and a, and a bunch of stuff like that, but I've never heard of ever blooming azaleas. Oh. So <laughs> it, it must mean if the foliage has turned brown, the buds should still be very obvious on them. The buds probably are not open yet. I wouldn't think because there are varieties of ha of azaleas that are deciduous. So in other words, they lose their leaves during the winter time. But again, I've never heard of a reblooming azalea ever, ever, ever. Mm. Well, it it flowered pretty good last summer, you know, but it, which is, I mean, different than my normal azalea. Sure. Okay, so hmm, I'll just have to watch it a while and see if it seems like it's come back to life for me. Right, exactly, and also just make sure that you you use regular azalea, acid-loving plant food on it, and yeah. I mean, keep it nice and healthy, and uh, you know, just kind of go from there. So I'm going to have to, when I show's over and I get back home, I'm going to have to go online and see about an ever-blooming azalea because it's a new one to me. Okay. Yeah, but me too. <laughs> and then the ornamental grass, um, I was told that, you know, my husband used to cut that back in the fall, I guess it was, you know, and then we'd it's come back up in the spring. Right. But 
he has passed away and someone said, no, you're not supposed to cut it back. But now, you know, do I need to do something now? Because it looks pretty awful. Well, the blades that are there that are brown, they're never going to turn green. So why somebody would tell you not to cut it off, I don't know. You know, depending upon the variety, that depends upon how high you're going to cut it. And for the most part, most of the ornamental grasses are clump growers, so the new growth is going to happen on the perimeter as opposed to in the center. But, yeah, I mean, put a bungee, have somebody put a bungee cord around it and cut it all off. The bungee cord just makes it so it's easier to kind of pick up the big mass and dump it into the yard waste or whatever, you know, dumpster or compost pile, wherever you're going to put it. Okay. Okay, so you say in the future it's okay to cut it back in the in the fall. Well, you could do it in the fall. Some people like it in the wintertime because it blows in the wind and all that other stuff. But definitely it should be cut back, let's say, sometime between Valentine's Day and the Ides of March. That would be the latest I would normally do it, just oh. historically. Okay, so it's okay to cut it back now, you think? Just yeah, so? definitely, because like I said, it's not the brown stuff is not going to do anything. No, it looks terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. News Radio 1120 KMOX, St. Louis's news, traffic, and weather. Depend on it. Yes, folks, we've got about nine more minutes. And at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helotech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Greg Damon and Jake. Spurligen, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he works for Mosby Building Arts. One o'clock, Rick Edelman's show. And three o'clock, the f- business, a family business. Four o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomer. So all kinds of stuff coming up between now and four o'clock. Ellen lives in Oakville. Ellen, how are you? Good. How are you this morning? Fine. I have a question. I have about nine or ten, I think they're little ropies, the little grasses. Yeah, la ropey. Yeah. Um, about half of them this year I have some new sprouts on. The other half are completely brown. Ooh. Do you think those are dead? No, not yet. I wouldn't get oh, into okay. a panic yet, but, uh, you know, if they were healthy last year and everything else, a lot of them haven't started pushing out any new growth yet at all. So the ones that are, they're just jumping ahead of the game. Okay. All right, then I'll wait a little while longer. I was getting ready to dig them up and put some new ones in. Yeah, you don't need to. They usually all come up at the same time. Yeah. So it's a weird year. Just like every year, you never know what's going to happen. Okay, how long do you think I should wait? Uh, If if they're not pushing out any new growth by mid-May, I would say it's time to get rid of them. Okay. All righty, great. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Let's go now from Oakville to someplace in St. Louis County. Ann, how are you today? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Great. I have a couple questions. One is about lilies of the valley. We moved to a house and they were all, it was already planted, and they're in now. They're going into an area that I would like to put something else. Um, how do you get rid of just that um, little portion of the of the where the lilies of the valley pull them out? Or, you can do that. You can just take a shovel or a digging fork out there and just you know. Mm-hmm pop them up out of the ground. They'll have a like just below the surface type of root system. That's how they're invasive. And I'd put probably some kind of physical barrier to keep them from moving back into the same space you're removing them from. So some kind of brick edger or something along that line. Yeah, we did that. And they went over it? Oh, I guess Ann's gone. So now let's go to Joe. And Joe lives in Collinsville, Illinois. 
Hello, Mike. Good morning. Uh, how are you? Mike, I'm usually right on the beam at 8 o'clock, but this morning I was a few minutes late, and you were talking about fire, blight, and sap, and insects, and I've got a row about nine of these uh, pears that I'm using for a privacy fence, and I'm very afraid of fire, blight, knocking them all out. What right. would you say about insects and, and sap? Well, this time of year... The you know the basically they're going to ooze some sap and especially the you know the trees and it's not just pear trees that get the you know fire blight other trees get it as well so when they ooze the sap then flighted insects can walk across it can do this can do that and then fly to a tree that doesn't have let's say the fire blight because it's internal it's in the veins of the tree uh, doesn't have it and they can actually inject. By just walking around in the, let's say, the breathable parts of foliage and you know branches and twigs and all that other stuff, and let's say start the disease that way. So that's what you're looking at. Well, I've got this insect disease mite control stuff that I bought and haven't used. Would it help to spray all the trees with that? Well, it's you know insects basically insecticides are contact killers, so they have to hit the insects. So just to go out there and spray with the you know the idea that you're going to get rid of it, it you know, it'll, how long it's going to last and everything else, because this oozing is going to probably go on for another couple of weeks, depending upon temperature and everything else. So it's just not like a one small window of time. It's all weather dependent. And we're going to have cool weather, you know, and then we're going to have very warm weather. So it's going to be oozing, you know, potentially more of a problem. Anything I can do at all to help prevent it? I, you could, you know, I mean, some of the, if the, if it's inside the tree, there's nothing can be done. If a tree is already infected, other ones preventative wise, there's really not too much that can be done. To be honest, you could call a landscape contractor or an arborist and see what they say. There's injection systems and all this, but I've, you know, I've not really seen it to be all that effective. Spraying with just a garden hose every day, it helps. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. So it's unfortunate. It's just like, some, you know, some trees get diseases and some other trees get a different kind of disease. Some trees get boars. Some trees get this. The oak trees get those galls on it. It's just, it's just one of those things potentially that can happen. Yeah, these are about 15 feet tall. They're almost touching branches. They're beautiful this time of year. Right. And when they green up, they're beautiful. They make a nice privacy fence. And boy, I'd hate to lose those. Right, things. I understand. But uh, like I said, it's just one of those kind of problems. So good luck with that, Joe. And thank you. Yeah, and let's go out to St. Charles and into Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Good morning. I have to thank you for your service and your recommendation on killing onion grass a few years worked like a charm. So thank you. <laughs> sure. I have two questions. I Last fall, I had a hard uh, maple planted. Uh, this summer or going through this year, I've, how much water do I need to, to keep on that? And uh, secondly, I have uh, some roses, uh, knockout roses in another variety. When's the optimum time to trim those to, to keep them a little smaller than, uh, than maybe just growing out crazy? Just basically with those... Just as, let's say you get the first flush of blooms, when you've, the blooms are finished, you're going to cut off the spin flowers anyway. Just cut them back a little bit at that, you know, at that point. Cut the stems back. So, and as for, let's see, what was your other question? Uh, water for a, a newly installed tree. If we don't, have, if we have normal rainfall and everything else, then you shouldn't have to you know water at all because it made it through 
you know, it's been in the ground. If it was recently installed, like within the last couple of weeks, I'd say that's a different story. But if it's gone through the entire winter, the root system will start establishing when the ground temperatures start going up. So you, unless we have an extended period of more than a couple of weeks where there is no rainfall, then I'd run a hose out and lay the hose at the base of the tree, not next, next right next to the trunk, and just run it at a, as a you know a trickle for you know an hour or so, and that should be adequate for another couple of weeks. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You do the same. And John and Webster Gross, John, how are you? I'm well, and you? Good. Good. We have a, a, a side yard in our house that faces west, so it's in the full sun, and it's just eaten up with weeds right now, and I want to put side down, but my question is, A, best grass, and then two, what do I need to do to prepare that, that dirt before I go sod over the top? Basically, you can't lay sod on top of the weeds. There's probably a major weed seed problem underneath this thing, so it's going to be a long, involved process. If you can be patient, I would go ahead and just work the soil up, add some compost to the ground, like, and then I would put the sod down. So as far as sod, personal choice, that's, you know, fescues are tough, durable. The zoises are tough and durable, but people don't like them in the wintertime because they turn brown. So uh, get the soil prepared before you worry about what kind of sod you're putting down. Okay, so uh, and pull, maybe kill all those weeds, spray yes. them, and then till it and compost. Right, like a, about two inches of compost and mix the compost in with the existing soil. Okay, great. So, good. Thanks, John. And Steve from St. Charles, can you do it very, very quickly? Yes, sir. I've got a 50 by 65 yard and looking at if I should plant one or two trees, what type, size, recommendation? Probably a yard of that size. I look at an ornamental tree. I look at maybe the serviceberry tree. That's a you know early spring bloomer. There's also a type of kusa, which is a Japanese dogwood. That would certainly be one I would consider. So probably you know those two would be you know a tree that would work in that size space without overgrowing and causing problems. Another option would be certainly the crab apples, which are in full bloom right now, or a redbud tree. So any one of those four would work very well. So thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, I will see you next week. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.